Welcome to the fourth episode of Changemakers, a podcast by the McGill Tribune covering McGill students' activism. I'm Noah Vatten, a multimedia staff producer, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Tori Ford, the founder of Medical Her Story, a youth-led, not-for-profit organization working towards eliminating sexism, shame, and stigma from health experiences in hopes to advance gender health equity. Thanks for having me. So hi, everyone. My name is Tori Ford, and I'm the founder of Medical Her Story. Medical Her Story is an award-winning international youth-led nonprofit. What was the foundation for you wanting to find Medical Her Story? What inspired it all? Sure. So a little bit about me. Um, I've always been a really passionate sexual health advocate. I've actually been teaching sex ed since I was 16. My grandmother was a sex educator. I've always been interested in that field. Um, And then I went into a BA in gender studies at McGill, did my MPhil at the University of Cambridge in health, medicine, and society. And I'm actually starting my DPhil in primary health care at Oxford in the fall. So I'd really describe myself as both sort of this longtime activist and academic working in the space of gender health equity. And Medical Her Story really began out of my own lived experience of the very common but very awful condition of living with chronic yeast infections. I was an undergrad at McGill University dealing with constant discomfort, confusion, and frustration. And honestly, there's just no resources out there. I'd been dismissed by countless physicians who had disregarded the impact that this was really having on my life. They carelessly lost test kits and condescendingly told me, some people get colds, some people get chronic yeast infections. I felt like I was telling my story to so many doctors, detailing this sort of medical history, the emotional turmoil, how I tried everything and nothing worked. And then 10 minutes later, what happens? I'm on my way home, I'm exhausted and feeling utterly just defeated. And while I was speaking to so many different healthcare professionals, I felt like nobody was listening to me. And that's when I decided to sort of take my story into my own hands and write it. And I decided to actually publish it for one of the McGill student newspapers. And it went on to make the front page, which was both awesome and terrifying at the same time. Hmm. But I quickly heard from so many other people that they had really similar experiences of this medical dismissal and mistreatment. But due to this shame and stigma, we're really afraid to speak up. So that's why I created the platform as a place where stories could be shared and where individuals knew that they would always be believed and validated and protected. And that's how Medical Her Story came about. So what sort of challenges did you find with trying to start something like Medical Her Story? Starting Medical Her Story kind of wasn't challenging in itself because honestly, I didn't really know what I was starting. Um, Maybe I shouldn't admit that, but it's true. I just knew at that point I wanted to do something and I had to, and it had to be me. I knew this and that's sort of what started this. Um, But don't get me wrong, sharing my own story, that was hard. Uh, No doubt about that. But once I decided to launch this initiative and make it about something bigger than myself, I was really solely focused on sharing these stories of other people Mm -hmm. and creating a platform that would be really uplifting and empowering for those individuals. Of course, I was concerned that people would have backlash about me speaking out about these things, especially as young women were often conditioned that talking about your bodies is really inappropriate, especially your genitals. So there's always a risk in doing so. Um, And don't get me wrong, there are millions of people who think that gender inequity doesn't exist, uh, that I'm probably just being a hysterical person. Um, But Medical Her Story has approached the topic in a really unique way that says, these are our stories, this is an issue, and you should care about it. 
in a way that's really resonated with so many people. And we've been really fortunate that it's been well-received. I'd say the challenge itself is the dismissive and discriminatory medical system and this really dehumanizing way that we tell medical histories. And I think on a more personal note, one of the challenges has been that during the past year and a half of growth and celebration around medical her story, I've still been living with chronic illness. I'm still seeing medical professionals and being dismissed. And this fight is very personal. It has been from the very start. And even now when I get to go on awesome podcasts like this one or give presentations at large events and speak with UN women and be the face of this movement, that's really hard. I've been able to sort of mobilize all of this pain into such a powerful movement, but at the end of the day, there is still pain and I'm in pain. Yeah. And each time that we go on to receive someone else's story, whether that's through a publication or now at one of our dozens of events and workshops, I take it really personally. And I add that, uh, that person's experience onto the fight because I think I know what it's like when you feel like no one's in your corner. And we've created this community where no one has to feel that way and they know that they're not alone. But I think with all that said, it can be really easy sort of with like romanticizing activism or this nonprofit life, but it can be really grueling work. And I think those are some of the biggest challenges that we've faced. Um, but that is this empathy, this lived experience and this vulnerability, which is at the heart of medical her story that makes it the powerful project that it is and makes it resonate with so many different people. Getting into a field like medicine where it's like, you know, male dominated in this day and age, even though we're making an effort to try to have more um, equity within the field. Did you find it difficult to get into such an industry or were you welcomed with open arms or what was your experience with that? Yeah. So when I first created Medical Her Story, it was definitely a patient centered platform. And I think it still largely is. And it wasn't really until I had this larger team that I felt really comfortable actually directly engaging with medical professionals and medical students. And I think it makes a lot of sense if you've had a negative experience, as much as I can advocate for myself and empower others to do so, it can be really intimidating. Medical spaces are not meant to have agency or power in the patient's hands. It's sort of all in the providers. So I think uh, there was a bit of fear in that sense, but I'm really happy that we sort of ripped that bandaid off and have been really engaging with the medical professional a lot more directly. And I will say I have been pretty welcomed uh, within it. I think a lot of people are recognizing that racism, sexism, ableism are larger social structures that really infiltrate medicine and medical encounters and can negatively harm patients, which nobody wants. Yeah. So in that sense, I think it has been really sort of successful in building a really great partnership within that space and with other organizations doing that work. Um, but I think medicine itself still has so long to go. It's still, like you said, not only male dominated in a lot of ways, but really male sort of androcentric in that sense that all research or diagnosis or treatment options are centered around the sort of normal body, right? The average citizen who is a 60, 70 kilo white <laughs> able-bodied man. Right. And when you're focusing on that experience, you're leaving out so many people and causing so much harm. And that's why Medical Her Story really tries to talk about gender bias in medicine a lot. And also acknowledging that in a strange sense too, it's unfortunate that the gender of the practitioner doesn't actually affect 
gender bias. Gender bias persists because sexism is just such a large system that involves so many different factors uh, and really influences patients on structural internalized uh, research levels as well. So I think there's a lot of sort of different dimensions and how this sort of comes into play when a space isn't created for everyone, um, mm -hmm. which most aren't. And I think also like, while we are fighting the sexism, shame and stigma in our work, these are also sometimes barriers that limit the work that we're able to do. So we know that women's health and the health of people assigned female at birth is just chronically underfunded across the board. Um, we know that in the research space, public funds, it's less than 2% of funding. It's even less for nonprofits that do work centered around women, girls, or gender diverse people. So there's really a lot of barriers, I think, in doing this work at the structural level of getting funding, getting appropriate research, and then also reaching people through layers of sexism, shame, and stigma. Um, but I am pretty proud that I think we have framed the issue right yeah. and sort of been proposing solutions that have been really exciting for people in the field and wanting to get involved and work with us more. I don't want to put you on the spot right now, but I think hearing, you know, some of those numbers that you just gave are very powerful and like can put the situation into a picture. Do you off the top of your head right now have like a statistic or like a fact that you found like through this entire experience that you think is just like, wow, that's kind of hard to believe in like terms of the stigma or sexism or anything of that sort sure. in the field? So we know that 80% of people who suffer from chronic pain identify as women, but 70% of pain studies are conduct conducted on men or male mice. What? <laughs> um, okay. We know that endometriosis, which is a very common um, reproductive condition that affects one in 10 women or people assigned female at birth, takes an average of eight years to be diagnosed. Eight years. Okay. Uh, and that's really common for a lot of conditions. We know that, that, I don't have a number for this, but we know that women or femme people are much more likely to have their pain dismissed as psychological rather than physical. And there's case studies where you have uh, a femme and a mask patient go to a doctor, present the same symptoms, and women are more likely to be prescribed antidepressants while men will get painkillers. Yeah. And there's also a lot of racial factors that come into play there as well. The numbers definitely like put everything in perspective and show how, you know, more work there is to do in the field because of how far behind it still is. But aside from all those challenges and everything, do you think you had like moment in this entire journey or like kind of like one thing that you think made it all worth it? Yeah, <laughs> great question. I think one of the reasons why the project has been so successful is I get to see the direct impact of this work every single day. From the first time that I shared my own story and heard from people who said, I didn't even know this is what I was living with, but I've been living with it for years or, oh my gosh, this is the first time anyone's spoken out. Thank you so much. Seeing that impact to now when we publish stories and we've covered dozens of health conditions that I get to be there with those authors on the day of letting them know their stories going live and feeling those feelings that I felt when you finally get to speak out and be heard is so rewarding to now we actually use those publications in workshops with medical students. And I get to use myself and my body as a case study to say, hey, this is a problem. Let's work together to create collaborative care. Right. Here's an awesome story, <laughs> read it through. And they're always sort of shocked with the, the twist and the turns and how much I had to go through. Right. And then we can work together to say, what would you do differently? 
this mm-hmm. is gender bias in medicine. How would you identify it and give practical tools and then hear from people who've been longtime physicians as well as medical students who come to the workshop say, thank you so much. This was so eye-opening. Now I actually have practical tools I can implement. Or also now we do patient advocacy workshops and storytelling workshops of giving back those tools to people so that they can feel empowered so that everything that I've gone through, as rough as it is, is now improving the lives of others and getting to see that on a daily basis and hear from people, whether they are physicians or patients or even the public uh, at all of the events we do, hearing the impact is so rewarding. So although it is difficult work at the end of the day, um, it's definitely building that community and that that lasting change that makes it so worthwhile. I'm sure that now at this point, it's like a lot of people you're helping. It's your medical history is definitely growing. So you're not just in Canada, you're in a couple countries. So how many countries are you in right now? How do you get there? Like, what's the size of medical her story right now? Sure. Yeah. So medical her story uh, at this point is made up of a team of over 70 volunteers across 24 universities in seven countries. And we're actually in the process of recruiting right now. So I think that number is going to get a lot bigger. And it's been amazing to see sort of everyone's responses to the initiative and how much they want to get involved. So sort of, like I said before, when I started, I was really just focused on the work. And then people started asking, hey, can I get involved? Do you have any volunteer opportunities? I want to help. And I was like, of course, come on board. I We don't have a structure. I don't know what we could do together but why not uh and then it's really just grown organically from there evolving into a registered nonprofit within canada doing a lot of great work in the uk and south africa Uh, we volunteers in australia and dubai to really grow it internationally and i think i was really surprised and not surprised at the same time with how universal this experience was of gender bias in medicine and it's been great i love having the diverse perspectives because I have one positionality and experience and I operate primarily within a Canadian healthcare system. So it's been great that our volunteers can bring their diverse uh, experiences and sort of local concerns to the organization to make sure that our message is as universal and inclusive as possible. There's the one thing that I definitely noticed going through the website and like looking everything for like the graphics and the animation for all the stories. Are you just like multi-talented? Is this you as well? Or do you have a, <laughs> another graphic designer or someone that does those? I like the word multi-talented. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so myself and my partner actually designed uh, the website. I've done okay. about half of the graphic design on there. It's really been out of necessity. One of the things you find is sort of a, a young founder is you're going to mm-hmm. end up doing a lot of things yourself and teaching yourself skills that uh, someone has to get them done. But right. we are looking for graphic designers all the time if anyone wants to get involved. <laughs> um, yeah, that was one of the things that was really important with the website was making it a space that people wanted to go to and sort of each uh, graphic image is actually custom designed with the author. That was something that when I published my own story, uh, a nice bowl of fruit was published alongside it. And I was so salty about this. My story was about being raw and emotional and real. And to see the most stereotypical (laughs) sort of like sterilized, like my body's too much, let's make it a fruit, um, was a lot. So we actually work with all the authors and we say, what do you envision? What makes you feel good? And we send them multiple drafts. They change colors, they change styles and textures. 
Um, so that also, I think, comes through with the website that these images aren't just sort of stock photos. They're, yeah. they're custom designed and they really contrast some of the, the heaviness of the stories with sort of an image that feels really representative. And that just one of the things, like I said, we spent so long thinking about the experience for the user and sort of for the author and how we can make it the most empowering. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up? where listeners can find Medical Her Story or where they can get involved or anything of the sort? Definitely. So we are very active on social media. You can find us at Medical Her Story on any social media. Highly recommend our Instagram and our TikTok. Um, and you can find us at medicalherstory.com if you want to share your story, book a workshop, attend one of our events, uh, donate or volunteer with us. We'd love to have you on our team. Definitely, if people also want to get in touch with me, learn more about my research, um, I can also pass along my contact info. Would love to talk to more people as well. I'd like to thank Tori for giving me the chance to talk to her and joining me for this conversation. Make sure you check out Medical Her Story and the amazing things they do. Also, make sure you stay tuned for any future content.